Good evening. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Let's pray. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we thank you for that friendship that you bestow upon us and that you extend toward us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us now to give attention to your word, God, that we would apply it however we need to and that we'd be better Christians because of our time here together this evening. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may remember that a couple of weeks ago we began looking at chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. In doing so, we watched in verse number 12 where Paul said to the Corinthian believers that they needed to give some attention to their spiritual life. The reason being, it is easy to think you stand. And when you think you stand, when you think that you have everything together, when you think that you're grounded and established and firm, that is when you can fall and that is when you will fall flat on your face. And in writing that, in the first few verses of the chapter, he gave them some things that they needed to look for, some things that they need, needed to give some attention to. So in verse number 6, he told them to give attention to their lust or their desires, to make sure that they did not have evil desires or lust after evil things. He spoke in verse number 7 about idolatry, something that would stand between them and the Lord. He talked about their attitude toward Christ and the murmuring, and then he also talked about fornication or immorality. And those are things that we need to give attention to in our lives to make sure that those things are what they're supposed to be, that uh, those things are in check and in balance so that we don't fall flat on our face. Because many times when people fall, it is in one of these areas in one way or another. Then last week, we were in verse number 13, and Paul made this point very clear, that there is no such thing as an, as an out-of-the-ordinary uh, temptation or a test that when you and I enter into a temptation or when we enter into a test, that someone somewhere has gone through something just like that before. And he said that God is faithful, he is dependable, he is trustworthy, he is reliable, and he is not going to allow us to experience a test that we are not capable of passing. And in addition to that, he said that God will make a way of escape for us to be able to bear it. And so the point is this is there is always a way to escape the temptations in our life. And if we do not escape the temptations, it's because we chose not to. And it's just that simple. God is not going to allow us to be tested with something that is greater than our capabilities. So if we give in to those temptations or those testings, then it will be because we chose to give in. That being said, tonight... I want us to think about a very simple truth, all right? Just going to mention it, illustrate it very quickly, and then we're going to move on. But how many of us tonight know this, that there are certain things in life that if a person engages in, it's not going to end well? It doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. If they do this, that is not going to end well for someone. Illustrate it just a couple of ways, like I said. You do not want a toddler behind the wheel of a running car. It's just not going to end well. It doesn't matter how smart you think your toddler is. It doesn't matter how in control of a situation you think your toddler is. You let a three-year-old behind the wheel of a running car that's engaged in drive, you're going to have problems at some point. It's just that simple. It's not going to end well if you jump out of an airplane with no parachute. doesn't matter how cool we think we are, it doesn't matter how strong we think we are, 
If we jump out of an airplane with no parachute from any altitude at all, it's just not going to end well. And you understand how this could just go on and on and on, right? So many scenarios in life, it's just it's not going to end well, no matter who it is that engages in this activity. Now tonight, I want us to look in verse number 15. All right, verse number 15 is where we're going to start. We're going to look at several verses, so just follow along and give attention to this as we do so. But in verse number 15, Paul makes this statement, I speak as to wise men. I speak as to wise men. Now remember who his audience is. It's the believers of Corinth. Not exactly an audience known for their wisdom, right? Not exactly an audience known for their discernment, for their discretion, for their perception, for their understanding of spiritual things, and yet Paul is still trying to be polite. He is still trying to be gracious in his dealings with his people or with these people there in Corinth. And so he said in verse number 15, I'm going to speak to you as wise men, men and women who had discernment and you have discretion, you have perception and you have some understanding. And he says in verse number 15, judge ye what I say. Judge ye what I say. What does that mean? It means this, come to a conclusion. I'm going to give you some information, Paul says. I'm just going to lay this out for you. I'm just going to give you some information for you to consider. And when this is done, when this is said, when this is complete, here's what I want you to do. I just, I want you to come to a conclusion on your own. Because you can figure this one out. You've got enough discernment. You've got enough discretion. You've got enough perception. You have enough understanding that if you'll think about this one, you can get this one. So Paul said, I'm going to speak to you as wise men. I want you to come to the conclusion on your own. So he said in verse number 16, the cup of blessing which we bless. The cup of blessing which we bless. What in the world does that mean? Well, the context would let us know that what Paul is talking about is when the believers assembled for the purpose of observing the Lord's Supper, or what we might refer to as communion. Now, the cup of blessing, there is some uh, debate, I guess you might say, on what is being referenced, but the idea is thought to be this, that it would be the cup that people would pass around in their day because they didn't each get their individual plastic cup to dispose of after the service. All right, so the cup of blessing, not so much of a blessing in my opinion, but nonetheless, the cup of blessing would be passed around. And he said, the cup of blessing which we bless or which we praise or which we honor, he said, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This word communion, what does it mean? Well, it means, among other things, the fellowship. So as he is talking about that cup of wine that they honor and that they give reverence to and that they would praise, he said, is it not the communion or the fellowship of the blood of Christ? And then he said in verse 16, the bread which we break, is it not the communion or the fellowship of the body of Christ? So what is he saying? He's simply asking this question in verse number 16, that when we get together and when we observe the Lord's Supper, when we fellowship or have this communion of the wine, and it represents the blood of Christ, and we break the bread, is it not a picture of the, blood, the body of Christ? He is saying when we get together and we pass the cup and we break the bread, are we not fellowshipping with what God has done on our behalf? Well, the obvious answer would be yes, that is exactly what they were doing. 
They were identifying with the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf for their salvation. So, verse number 16 is fairly clear, and then 17, he makes it even more clear. He said this, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So though there are many of us, we are all one body, because we are all partaking of that same bread or that same body when we come together for the fellowship and the communion. So does this make sense, what Paul is saying to them? He is saying, I'm going to write to you as wise men. I want you to discern what it is I'm saying. Is this not so that when we come together, we are identifying with Christ through the drinking of the wine and the breaking of the bread, though we are many, we are all partaking of one bread? He said in verse number 18, Behold, Israel after the flesh. Consider Israel. From the fleshly standpoint, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Well, again, just a little bit of common sense on the part of the Corinthian believers would make them say, well, yes. When someone from the people of Israel would go to the temple and present their sacrifices, they were then partakers of the altar or they were identifying with what was taking place in the temple at that time. So that question is asked. A fairly obvious answer should be given. So in verse number 19 he said, What say I then? That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? Well, what does this mean? Well, he is now acknowledging that there were sacrifices that were offered to idols. In their pagan day and in their pagan culture, he was acknowledging that sacrifices still took place in an effort to offer these to these idols, these gods, whatever it was they served. Now what he is asking is this, is just because that happens, and we'll see this in a few moments, but just because that happens, does that validate the God authority or the, does that give validation to the authority of that God that they are sacrificing to? Well, the answer to that question would be no. Just because you name a God and you begin to sacrifice to it does not validate its authority as a God. It is still a false God. Okay? So you have believers who would partake of the Lord's Supper, and Paul said, we're identifying with Christ to do such a thing. There are also those who sacrifice to idols. This does not validate the authority of their God, but it does exist. So he says in verse number 20, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. So what he is saying to them is, these Gentiles, these ones who have their pagan practices, that when they offer their sacrifices unto these idols, they are sacrificing them to devils because there is a demonic or a satanic influence behind these idols and the sacrifices being offered. 
this is very important that we understand this. This was not ordained by God. So the fact that it was happening, the fact that it was taking place, if it was not ordained and instituted by God, it could have only been ordained and instituted by that of Satan or the demonic presence in their culture. And so what he was saying is this, now listen, that as they do this, they are now making sacrifices to devils and not to God. And notice what he said in verse number 20, and I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. What does fellowship mean? It's the exact same word as communion. In the previous verses. The exact same word just translated differently in the verses. And so what is he saying? He is saying this, that when the Gentiles sacrifice their sacrifices to their idols, they are doing so to devils, and as they do so, they are now identifying by way of fellowship or communion with devils. See, believers, when you're over here and you observe the Lord's Supper, when you break the bread and you drink the wine, you are identifying with Christ and all that He's done for you. When the Gentiles over here offer their sacrifices to idols, they do so actually to devils, and with that practice they are now identifying with devils or demons or that of a satanic presence. So in verse number 21 he said this, Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot have fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the Lord's table, and of, I'm sorry, of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Just going to throw this out here, Corinthian believers, Paul said. Here's what it's like when we do this. Here's what it's like when they do this. Now, I want you to come to your own conclusions. I want you to judge this. I want you to discern this. I want you to, you know, come to some conclusions on your own. But I want you to know that you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devils. You cannot be a partaker of the Lord's table and the table of the devils. He is saying this. You cannot identify with both. You can't. Now... As we think about this, I want to take us back a few lessons, a few messages. Because when they sat down and read this, it was not broken up like we've broken it up over the weeks in different sermons. You remember when the question was asked, are we allowed to eat meat offered unto idols? You remember that sermon and that question that was posed? And what did Paul say? Paul basically said, yeah, if you want, you can. It's not anything major if you do, and it's not anything special if you don't. What Paul said was this, it becomes wrong when it's an offense to your brother. Now you've got to understand the difference in what's being talked about here. The difference of chapter 8, I believe it is, is talking about meat that had maybe been offered to an idol by way of a sacrifice, but that meat was now available in the market or something of that nature. 
So for the debate to take place as to whether or not they could eat that meat, Paul said, you know, it's really not an issue, it's not a problem. You just don't want to make one of your brothers stumble over this issue. But as we come to chapter 10, what he is talking about is a completely different thing. What he is saying now in chapter 10 is this. Hey, listen, you can't be observing the Lord's Supper one day with God's people and at another event, some other time in the week, be observing a pagan sacrifice and a pagan ritual because you cannot have one foot in God's camp or at God's table and another foot at the table of the devil. You simply cannot do it. That is wrong. There's no way in which to justify that. You cannot one moment identify with God and then the next identify with the devil and Satan through pagan practices. Now, why would this have to be addressed? Because there were Corinthian believers engaged in this. Well, how do we know? Go back to verse number 14. Verse number 14 says this, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Someone says, well, that doesn't really prove anything. All right. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Believers, you need to give some attention to your spiritual life. You don't want to think you're grounded and established and then fall flat on your face. Correct? Do you all remember me reviewing that just a few moments ago? Okay. just want to make sure we're alert. Okay. So take heed lest you fall. Here are some things to be mindful of. Immorality, your attitude, murmuring, your ungodly lust, and what else? In verse 7, neither be ye idolaters. What do you need to look out for in your spiritual lives? Idolatry. Verse number 12, verse number 13 rather, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Okay, so whatever temptation you may face as it relates to these things, listen, it's not uncommon, it's not out of the ordinary. Someone else, somewhere else has experienced this. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Very next words, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. What is the struggle with at least some in the church? It's idolatry. What is idolatry? It is the serving or the worshiping of a false god. It is the worshiping of any god outside of Jehovah God. What does it mean to worship? Well, it means to reverence. It means to, it means to uh, let me make sure that I give this to you correctly. It means to reverence, to honor, to praise, or to bow in submission before something or someone. So an idol is a false god 
that demands worship or that demands reverence and honor and praise, and it also demands obedience. (laughs) This may not be connecting just yet, but I promise this is important, all right? Believers of Corinth need to take heed lest ye fall. Here's something you need to give attention to as it relates to this whole falling flat on your face process. Among other things, idolatry. Because there are things out there, though it does not validate its authority, just the fact that people acknowledge it, there are things out there by way of gods that will demand your reverence, that will demand your, your praise, that will demand your honor, and it will demand your obedience. And you must realize that you cannot have one day at the table of the Lord and the next day a, a place at the table of the devil. You cannot do it. He said to flee. What does it mean to flee? It means to get away from. To get away from quickly. To get away from with haste. To not mess around with this. To get away from it as quickly as possible. Do not mess with this. Why not? I think I'm, I think I'm capable you know, I, I think I can do this. I, I think I can have fellowship with God's people one day and then another day have fellowship at the table of the devil. And, and I think that I'm strong enough somehow to keep these lives separate. Well, you know what Paul would say? He would say, this isn't going to end well. This isn't going to end well. Well, how do you know? Verse number 22, after Paul writes all these things, remember, he's just letting some smart people come to their own conclusions. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? I mean, you really think this is a good idea? Because see, that word jealousy also carries with it the idea of anger. Now, if you're, you know, communing and fellowshipping with the Christians one moment, and then you are yielding to the authority of some sacrificed Uh, to idol or some idol that's present in your community, if you're then, after having fellowship with the believers, now yielding to the authority of the table of Satan, it's going to provoke the jealousy and the anger of God. And then he said in verse number 22, are we stronger than he Are we mightier than God? Hey, you just think about this, come to your own conclusions. But, I mean, if you got a brain at all, Paul would say something like this. I think you'll see this won't end well. Because God will not take lightly 
one day with the brethren and the next day with the world and yielding yourself to the authority of the idol that demands your submission and your reverence and your honor. This simply is not going to end well because that makes God very jealous and it makes God very angry. You see how this all ties together a little bit? Okay. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to mention it again real quick. In our culture and in our society today, we don't have sacrifices, correct? We don't have temples with other gods receiving the sacrifices of men and women on behalf of those gods, correct? Okay. But remember what an idol is. It is anything other than the true God that demands reverence, that demands honor, that demands praise, and that demands a person's obedience. Now, I just want you to sit here this evening, use your wisdom, and answer this really hard question. Are there idols still present today in our culture? Well, of course there are. Things that people now reverence and honor and yield themselves to by way of submission to that thing's authority. Like what? Well, like many things, right? Let's just name a few. Please don't think that I'm just trying to hit a certain swath of people. I'm just saying these are things that are fairly common in our society today. I'm going somewhere with this. What about little league sports these days? Does it not demand reverence, honor, and obedience? It absolutely does. There are people who will do whatever it takes to make sure the little league coach is satisfied. Because sports has become a god in this culture. Now, keep in mind, please, sports are kind of like the meats in the market. In and of itself, it's not wrong. But when you begin to yield to the authority of the god of sports... That is when it's wrong, and you cannot one moment be yielding my authority to God, and yet at the next moment be yielding your authority to a coach who is taking you away from the authority of God. I'm not going to stay here forever, but I want us to see this. Can you imagine what our society would look like today if young families were as loyal to the things of God as they are Little League? Yeah. 
Imagine if all God's people on Sundays were rather in, they were in church rather than at whatever the, the ball thing was that week that they couldn't miss because the team depended on them. It's a God. Without doubt, money and pleasure have become God's. People yield themselves to the authority of money and pleasure on a daily basis. Decisions are made not according to the word of God, but rather the almighty dollar. They will yield themselves, they will bow themselves to the almighty dollar and what they believe it will be able to do to them. Can you imagine if people were as dedicated to the things of God as they were the dollar that says in God we trust? The world would look far different, would it not? Family is God for some. Let's just be honest. Family carries more authority than God does. God says, well, family said. Nothing wrong with family, duh. But when family demands more of your obedience than God, then there's a problem with it. So you've got sports, you've got money, you've got pleasure, you've got family, you've got recreation, you have all these different things in our society that serve as a God to people these days. Now let's be honest, here's what the world, Christian world, for lack of better words, looks like. One moment, they're communing with the people of God. Right? Fellowshipping with the people of God. Oh, we love God, we love God, we love God. I can't believe more people don't believe God. I can't believe more people don't love God. Blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on about how much they love the Lord, can't believe how so many people live. Then they turn right around and they yield themselves to the authority of so many other things in this life. That's not going to end well. It's just not. Well, Brother Kyle, how can you say that? Because the Word of God says it. If we do not yield ourselves strictly and solely and entirely to the authority of God in our lives, we've got to understand something. We are stirring up the jealous juices of God. He does not take it lightly that we cannot just get wholly committed unto Him and completely committed to Him and telling these other things that want to be God in our lives. No, not in mine. It stirs up the, the jealousy of God and it stirs up the anger of God. It does. And so many people think that God is passive in all this. That somehow God doesn't care. That God is okay with all this. 
Listen, the, the specifics are different, I understand, but the principle is the same. We cannot have one foot in the church or in the things of God and another foot in the world and expect it to go well for us. It simply will not happen. And we got to ask ourselves this question. Are we really thinking that we're stronger than him? Do we really think that somehow his jealousy and his anger toward us isn't going to somehow affect us? Oh, that won't happen to me. Brother Kyle, that's not going to happen to our family. Brother Kyle, you don't understand. You just, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know, you don't know what the pressure is like. You, you just don't know. It doesn't matter if I know or not. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We cannot use that little piddly excuse, you just don't know, because Paul already addressed it before he said, Wherefore, dearly beloved, flee from the idolatry. The only reason you and I would give in to the demands of some idol in our life, whatever it looks like, is if we choose to give in to the demand of that idol. God wants complete authority if we're going to identify with Him. God wants complete authority. He wants complete control. He wants our obedience. And for us to give this little mealy-mouthed excuse, well, you just don't understand, it's, it's not a valid excuse. If you and I waver in what we yield our obedience to, we will stir up the jealousy and the anger and the wrath of God. And it will not end well for us. Because none of us are strong enough to withstand the judgment and the wrath and the punishment He can pour out on our lives. We need to give some serious attention. And I just say that we is a blanket statement. We need to give serious attention to who really controls us and to what really has authority in our lives. Because if it is anything other than God, it will not end well for us. I don't care who we are. If he's not in charge, if he's not in control, if he is not who we are yielding to, then it will not end well. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us tonight to just allow you to take a quick look at our lives and to see whether or not we're as devoted to you as we think we are. Lord, it is so easy to assume that we are yielding to your authority and then turn right back around and let something else dictate to us what we will or will not do. God, would you help us tonight to realize there is not a bright future in that. We need to be consistent. We need to have some conviction. 
and we need to live according to what you say rather than what the world says. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.